Lately, I've been, I've been thinking, I just want to be happier, I just want to be happier. When May 9th comes, when we see what we've become, at the end of the day there are fights on and I think we both know that we'll watch them. But is it too much? There are things we can't take back. Cause with all that has happened, I think that we both know the way that the story ends. Then only for a minute I want to change my mind Cause this just don't feel right to me I want to raise our spirits I want to see a smile But no, that means we'll have to leave Welcome to the Fighting With Myself podcast the podcast for the quarantined MMA fan, hosted by a quarantined man. And I'm that man. My name is Juice. And um, I'm feeling a little conflicted about today's show, as you could tell from my interview, because I really, really am looking forward to these fights. I cannot tell you how much uh, it is is needed. And just like um, just like it said in the opening, I just I just want to I want that happiness that I get from watching fights. I want it to be back in my life, but I am a little worried about the health and safety of it all and, and just sort of the repercussions of having it. So I won't tr- I'll try not to dwell on that, but I just know that it's always going to be in the back of my mind. So it might slip to the forefront every now and then. And that's just how the show goes. So um, let's give a little rundown. I'm going to give my picks for uh, UFC 249 at the end of this podcast. Before that, we're going to do the forum. Hear from all you lovely uh, people from, from the great corner of uh, MMA Twitter, and uh, I'm going to give you some LA stories again. I'm loving doing those, and I got some um, some fun ones. But let's start. Um, let's start by talking about the other events that are going to take place throughout the week. So, if you haven't already heard, um, the UFC is going to do two events um, in the week after UFC 249. So, it'll be three events in that week. We'll have one on May 9th, UFC 249, which I'm going to break down which I still concede should be called UFC 250, though I kind of get it. Um, UFC 249 on pay-per-view, unfortunately. And then um, two fight night cards in midweek, May 13th and May 16th. Again, feeling a little weird about those because I don't know about fights on a Wednesday. I believe that's that's the 13th. Yeah, I think it's the 13th. The 13th is a Wednesday. Uh, it's going to be weird, but um, hopefully if it goes off without a hitch, um we can uh, we can look forward to more of these because that will be fun. Um, some pretty interesting fights on there. Um, so I've already uh, given a rundown of the UFC 249 card, and we're going to um, give my picks for that at the end of this episode. But the uh, so they're all taking place in the same arena essentially, which is another cause for concern in a sense because are they, are they going to sanitize the entire arena after the, these events? You know what what's going on there? That's that's a little bit uh, jolting for me, but again, I'm going to try and push that to the back of my mind. Let's focus on the, the positive aspects, the silver linings. We're getting some some fun fights. Um, they're taking place at the Jacksonville, um, the the V Star or Vice Star, however you pronounce that, Veterans Memorial Arena in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, the May 13th card is, is to be headlined by Anthony Smith versus Glover Teixeira. Um, some fun fights on the prelims, actually. We're getting uh, Hunter Azure versus Brian Kelleher. Um, 
or Azure, however you pronounce it. I'm a I'm a big Brian Keller fan, so I am looking forward to this fight. Next up is uh, Sajara Eubanks versus Sarah Morris. Now, I like Sarah Morris, but I'm not a huge fan. But I am not a fan of Sajara Eubanks. So I'm looking forward to the potential that she maybe um, gets her ass handed to her, though I doubt that. Um, but we'll see. You know, it should be a fun fight. Um, also, Michael Johnson versus Chuggo Moises. I always love watching Chuggo Moises fight because that time he got the helicopter armbar in RFA before it became LFA. Great shit from Thiago Moises. And um, Michael Johnson's got pretty good sub defense. So this, uh, and takedown defense as well. So this will probably largely be contested on the feet. Um, probably just get like a sloppy slugfest. You know, those are always fun. And then Andre Alofsky versus Felipe Lins. Uh, doesn't even have a, uh, uh, what, what do you call him? A profile picture on UFC.com. It's just a little uh, black, empty avatar. Um, Felipe Lins reminds me of uh, Ivan Lins. Who uh, who wrote the uh, the Portuguese segment or, or or what have you saying on the Portuguese segment of uh, my uh, Michael Bublé's cover of Wonderful Tonight, Eric Clapton song? I fucking love that song, and I've I've thought of using it for this podcast so many times because it's the bilingual aspect, which I love. And he's like, "A noite de festa, ela I. I, I try so hard and I, I sort of get the pronunciation. So that has precluded me from using it. And it's also just like a little segment. So I don't know if that would even be beneficial, but um, I did it for Instagram one time, if you follow me there. And then the main card of that, uh, that this card on May 13th, we're getting Carl Roberson versus Marvin Vittori. Eh, it should be fun, but uh, it's not, uh, you know, a name value that I would like to, to be, gearing up for although i did say and i I was thinking about this when i was looking at this card is because when i was thinking about um the people that i want to be fighting during this because i want them to prepare for their families is the guys on the undercard and that's sort of what this card is uh, in large uh, part and um it would it would be a little bit hypocritical of me if i were to say you know i want these guys to be making money and then also kind of veto this event um and and also for me to be saying hey these aren't names enough you know they're, they're both Action fighters, Carl Roberson fucking comes to fight Marvin Vittori when he doesn't shut up about um, uh, having a split decision loss to Israel Adesanya. He's a cool guy. And um, I don't know. I'm just I'm just looking forward to some of these fights on the main card. Uh, after Roberson versus Vittori is Ricky Simone versus Ray Borg. Hella fun fight. Uh, I'm riding with Ricky on this, I think. It's because Ray Borg has been disappointing me um, with regards to missing weight. I mean, how do you go out and make a quote that say, if I miss weight again, I will leave the sport of MMA and still miss weight and still keep fighting, dude? I just I just can't with Ray Borg sometimes. But... Um, he gets a pass on most things because of his son. I mean, that's just heartbreaking to go through. Um, so, so kudos to these guys for, for being able to make some money during this time. And um, then you got Alex Hernandez versus Drew Dober. Super excited for this because Drew Dober looked really good in his last couple fights and fucking Alex Hernandez sh- sh- needs to be shut up. Like I just, I need it to happen. And uh, Drew Dober's Lego head looking ass needs to be the one to do it. Like it's where he looks like a model, but also a Lego head. Like I'm not saying he looks ugly by calling him a Lego head. He looks a very good looking guy, but it's like a blockhead. It's like a very chiseled like Lego head. Uh, and then we got OSP versus Ben Rothwell. Now I keep seeing like when the matchup with Volante got announced, people were like, 
a matchup that nobody asked for and why is it happening? I was like, first of all, love both those guys. I may be alone, but I love both those guys. I fucking love Ben Rothwell. He was on the A-Side live chat recently, and I've been loving that show. So shout out to those guys, Jose Youngs, Pete Carroll, uh, Casey Lydon, if I'm pronouncing that right, EKC. That guy is fucking one of the most hilarious guys in MMA and uh, definitely doesn't get enough credit for it. Like I even gave him shit on this podcast one time because I, it threw me for a loop, and then I went back and listened to it, and I was like, that's actually really funny. Like in the post-fight press conference for – um, the Robert Whitaker versus uh, Israel Adesanya fight, two forty three. Um, they were waiting for the fighters to come in, and and PT, I think was leading, and and he asked Casey, who's the videographer, he was like, "What did you see out there? What 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 just happened?" He goes, and Casey goes, "Some next level shit." <laughs> it was just so funny. Um, but uh, I'm here for uh for OSP moving up to heavyweight. I've wanted this happen to a, for a long time. He's a big 205er and he's athletic. We need athletic heavyweights to really take MMA into the next um, realm, if you will. And um, I'm happy that he's not cutting weight during a fucking pandemic, dude. Like uh, I think it was Sarah Kaufman that made a point about people are uh, more susceptible to illnesses and things like that when they're cutting weight. Like every fighter, if you tell them like during a fight camp, they always get sick. They always get sick because germs and, and things are, are happening around. So, you know, why not fight up a weight class? Like that's more people need to be doing that. Like this fucking lightweight fight between Judoper and Alex Hernandez should be a welterweight fight during the pandemic or a catch weight or, uh, I don't know, open weight. More of that needs to be happening, but it's not. And, and that's a problem, but I digress. Um, the main event, though, this is a good main event. And it was supposed to happen in Lincoln, Nebraska, before all this went down. So I'm glad that they're still, you know, getting matched up, and that these guys actually had somewhat of a training camp, I believe, before everything happened to be able to kind of prepare for each other and and kind of watch tape. And they've had plenty of time. This isn't like a last minute matchup. Um, who knows if they've been able to do proper training? You know, I know Anthony Smith lives in Nebraska and then flies out to Denver for his camps at Factory X. So that's a problem. Um, but Glover um, trains in Danbury, Connecticut. Uh, it's pretty close to the hotbeds in the tri-state area, so I don't, I don't know how bad it is in Connecticut, but I can tell you it's bad in New Jersey because it's close to New York and people are still commuting to the city, and even though they shouldn't, and, and people don't follow fucking instructions, why? Don't know. But here we are, and I'm really looking forward to that fight. You know, There's some of these fights where I wish, I wish we could kind of like almost like not watch them live and then kind of skip the fights we don't want. Cause that's when you have so much fucking fights in one week, three big fight cards, it's a bit much, but uh, I know we've been starved. So probably going to watch every single fight, even the early prelims. I mean, I always do that anyway, but under these circumstances, it's a little different. And then we're getting the uh, Overeem wall Harris fight to headline the May 16th card. This should be really fun because um, they were supposed to headline the DC card and then Rosenstroik stepped in and knocked uh, Alistair Overeem the fuck out and blew up his lip, like split it the fuck open. And um, I'm, I'm glad that they're, they're matching this up. I believe this was, was supposed to headline UFC Portland before everything got shut down. So kudos to these guys for getting paid. And uh, there's some fun fights on the prelims as well. Uh, Courtney Casey is making her flyweight debut against Mara Romero Borrella. Um, and um, I'm glad because I've long thought Courtney Casey needs to move up to, to flyweight. She's way too fucking big for a strawweight, dude. It's dangerous. And I, I, I wonder if it's her being um, sort of mindful of the pandemic and saying, hey, I need to go up and wait. Or if this is like a permanent move. Um, I would love to know that. 
Um, also, Darren Elkins versus Nate Landwehr is happening. It's a really fun fight. Uh, Nate Landwehr is kind of kill or be killed, and he got killed against uh, Herbert Burns. So, um, so that's something to watch out for. And Mike Davis versus Giga Chikadze. Now, I, I hear a lot of people saying Giga. It's Giga, uh, to my knowledge. I think they, they said on the broadcast, and they typically do their research on the broadcast because John Anik is the king of pronunciation. Um, and Mike Davis, man, ever since I saw him fucking mollywop Thomas Gifford, I mean, just actually fucking wipe the octagon with him. I've been super high on Mike Davis. Uh, really looking forward to this fight. It's going to be a fun fight at featherweight. Uh, I believe Giga has been fighting a bantamweight in the UFC, if I'm not mistaken. So I hope that this is another guy being mindful. And I know Mike Davis in the past has said that he, he has a pretty easy cut to featherweight. Like he, he fought at lightweight in his UFC debut, um, cause it was short notice. And then he went down to featherweight. Uh, Kevin Holland is always fun. He's fighting Anthony Hernandez on this card. And uh, the main card for, for this May 16th card is not bad. You got Chito Vera fighting uh, Song Yadong. Now, I believe, I saw a tweet where uh, Marlon said that Yadong pulled out. And yes, I meant to make that joke. Yadong pulled out. Uh, but uh, as of right now, this fight is is being billed on UFC.com. So I don't know if, if maybe that pull-out rumor is not true or if they found a replacement they just don't want to announce it yet but um marlon vera is one of my favorite fighters so really looking forward to him uh eric anders versus christoph jaco i've I've become a huge eric anders fan or anders over the years uh just from hearing him on different podcasts Uh, i think it's really cool that he did that like he did the tony takedown challenge with that guy hey it's mma and um he went on fucking uh combat sports with rhino and gave a really awesome interview there so uh he's just sort of like uh, a guy of the people. He's really cool and uh, really looking forward to this fight. Um, also, Edson Barboza making his featherweight debut against Dan Ige. Now, I don't like this because I didn't like Edson Barboza dropping down a featherweight in the first place. Like, if Dan Ige was to come up to lightweight, like this fight, you know, as a snapshot, you know, is great. I'm not, I'm not pooping the matchup. I'm just saying it's a little bit fucking like I was already worried about Edson dropping the featherweight in a pandemic or sorry at all and now in a pandemic i'm like uh get your shit together guys like what the fuck you know so so that worries me a little bit um and then claudia Gadilla versus uh angela hill is the co-main are you kidding me this is a great fight love angela hill um love uh seeing claudia Gadilla lose sometimes <laughs> that sounded mean um but i'm no i'm just i'm really i'm really happy for uh, angela hill getting a payday during this and um being like the fucking female Cerrone, just like fighting every weekend. I love that for her. And this main event, um, guaranteed fucking knockout. These guys have like a really high finish rate on, on either side. And uh, it's going to be amazing. So really, really, really looking forward to it, man. Uh, again, cautiously optimistic because things could fall through. You know, the, the government could step in as they should, even though they're not. So... We don't know if we're getting all these fights, and uh, we don't know how the first one is going to go uh, as far as if there's any confirmed cases that come out of it. You know, it's a little bit um, weird, if I'm honest, just thinking about what's going on right now and that they're so determined to put on these fights. And I'm thankful, and I'm glad that uh, there's a lot of undercard fighters who are, are making that money and, and providing for their families. But man, dude, uh. It's fucking hard, you know? It's fucking hard to think about the consequences of a fucking combat sport in a, a fucking pandemic. It's crazy. 
other than that, I've just been I've been keeping busy binging a lot of shows on Netflix, and I wanted to plug some of those shows. Uh, this is a kind of a shout out to uh, my man uh, Fuck Yugi with the iPoke Podcast. He has a little entertainment segment uh, where he talks about shows and, and games to play and, and things to watch. And I fucking love that. Um, he reminded me of that Amazon show, the boys. And I watched it. That show is so fucking good. Um, but I want to plug, um, I don't really plug cause it's not mine, but definitely watch middle ditch and Schwartz. It's a long form improv that, um, uh, is, is on Netflix. There's three episodes that are like an hour long fucking watch it, dude. Like you may think like going improv is lame. Like you may have seen it at like a comedy club or whatever and be like, nah, that's not for me. But dude, you got nothing else to do. It's on Netflix. You don't have to fucking participate. Just watch. And it is so funny. Like it'll, it'll give you a deeper appreciation for uh, the art form. I think uh, it's fucking really funny, especially the first episode. Really funny. And I used to watch those guys perform live. So it's, it's, it's just been a treat for me to, to see it. And, and the fact that um, it makes me feel like I'm back in LA is the point. And, and I'm glad that the whole world is going to see it on Netflix. Um, also watch Community. It's so funny. It, it may be the funniest show on television. I've heard that it gets it gets like shitty after like Donald Glover leaves and Chevy Chase leaves, and I think uh, uh, the showrunner Dan Harmon may have left. People have said that. And uh, right now, I'm just I'm just so like fucking every episode. I I I average like minimum three or four like belly laughs where I just like huh, huh, like just can't stop laughing from something that's so funny and just a blur out laughing. The fucking the characters are so good. The writing is good. It's just it's really really good. And I've also been watching The Masked Singer. And when I was on, like I don't like a lot of those. It's it, it become a trend ever since The Voice and American Idol became really popular. It's fucking been a trend for a lot of these like shows to just pop up about like like so you think you can dance and all these other shows. And The Masked Singer came on and it seemed like a fad to me. And I was like, eh. Plus, like all the ladies in my office were talking about it, and I was like, "Yeah, I don't want to have to talk to people at work about something that's not work related." So I kind of <laughs> ignored it for a while. But dude, my sister told me to watch it, and I've I've been absolutely fucking obsessed. It's so good. And it, it, if you don't know the premise, it's like celebrities dress up in, and, and it could be like an athlete, it could be a fucking singer, it could be an actor, um, just someone famous. Even on uh, one of the the seasons. They did it like a streamer, someone who's like like famous on like streaming. I don't want to give anything away if, if you haven't watched it, but um, it it made me think like the whole the whole premise of it is is to just take the voice at face value and 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 not just the voice like it's not blind like the show the voice when they uh, turn their backs it's it's you see them so you see the pageantry you see their performing their energy but you just don't know who they are it's it's a great way to like get the base. Uh, like bare bones of a performance without like worrying about who it is. But then it's also fun to like hear the clues. They give clues in like a little video before. So you can kind of guess who it is and they interview them afterward, but their voice is distorted. It's so crazy. And I'm just like, I'm whenever I get one right, I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. Uh, and then when I'm wrong, like there's, there's been a couple where I've been so sure of, and then the reveal happens and I'm wrong. And I'm like, holy shit, dude. It's 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 so good, and it made me realize there's an opportunity for the UFC to do a similar show called that would be called like the Masked Fighter, where um, fighters are like sort of concealed somehow, but you get to see them fight. So it's not about um, who they are so much as what they can do, and it would be a great way to kind of like pr- put on new content in the fucking like 
a world where they're trying to pump Fight Pass and trying to pump ESPN Plus, and they're saying they're going to bring Tough back, but like, how the fuck is it going to happen? And it's already been done 28 seasons. Like, these are the things I think about. I, I was thinking about if you're going to do the Ultimate Fighter, you should do it like in a situation like this. Like, don't maybe don't call it the Mass Fighter. They still call it the Ultimate Fighter, but but fucking do it like this where they pick their teams without knowing who it is, like knowing their record or knowing who they fight just based on performance. And then it gets revealed. And maybe it's even like some current roster fighters. If you're like people have thrown out the idea of doing a tough season to sort of create a bracket for like an interim title or even a real title. So you could even do it with current roster fighters. It's, I think it'd be really good. I'm going to do my blog post about it. Um, So I don't want to give too much away. But speaking of which, I want to plug my blog po- my blog as well, my most recent post. The name of the blog is Mixed Martial Opinions, and so you can find it at mixedmartialopinions.wordpress.com. I wrote about uh, the possibility of using robots to have fights in a safe way, and uh, it requires a lot of technology that may not exist yet, but it also could be existing. The government is hiding it from us, so definitely check out that blog. And um, that's it. So let's, let's take a quick break, uh, hear a little ad. And then uh, we'll get into some L.A. stories. All right, let's get down to business. The L.A. stories segment of this podcast has become one of my favorite segments, probably because it's a bit therapeutic and cathartic to kind of wax poetic about the past a little bit. And I don't know, just to remind myself of where I came from and where I'm going. Um, And these two stories I'm about to tell are kind of unrelated. In fact, they're very unrelated, but um, one I wanted to tell because it kind of goes with the stuff I talked about last week and then another one because it's going to kind of... It's not that these stories are chronological, but they kind of are. Um, yeah, so the first one is uh, one that I was I was talking to my friend Bethany the other day. Shout out to Bethany. She's great. And... Um, <laughs> This is actually the other day we were, this is not part of the story. I just got to tell you about how, like who Bethany is and what makes her so great. I'm sitting there watching um, Netflix with my wife or she, she's, I think she was playing Animal Crossing and I was like doing something else on my computer or whatever. I got a, a live notification from Instagram that Bethany was going live and I'm like, okay, cool. Let's see uh, what Bethany's up to. Literally, she's in the pool in a mermaid costume. <laughs> <laughs> just chilling being a mermaid and then you know how it shows you who's in the in the chat or whatever in the live she sees me she's like oh Josie join with me and said like lightning quick sends me the request and I just click on it before I even th- I mean even think about it and then the two of us are now like on like a two-way live stream or whatever just chatting it up for uh her followers to uh <laughs> to view and we were just sort of reminiscing old stories and I was remembering I I was reminded of, from her of this one time we went out um, for drinks with a friend that that was really funny. Um, so she texted me that she's at um, this restaurant in Hollywood, the sushi restaurant that is in the area that kind of like it's it was on Vine, like north of Sunset, just south south of Selma, I believe, like in a very hip area. Um, you may have heard the, of the Sunset and Vine Apartments. That's right above this place. Um, and despite being like in the thick of it in Hollywood, it was actually pretty cheap. For like they had a great happy hour. Like you could get a picture of Sapporo for like five bucks, I think. Of course, this was like ten years ago. But 
it was it was great and i go in and chill with her and first of all she has her fr- i don't know if this friend showed up later but her friend this girl that went to our school i won't name her name because she didn't uh we didn't talk about it um beforehand but this chick looks exactly like my friend bethany and like it got to the point where literally one time they were in the elevator together and they were wearing a similar outfit and you know some elevators are like mirrored like you can see your reflection on the back they said that they were adjusting their reflection and didn't know who was who first of all that's a lie but it was so funny to me that they said that and that it was could be true uh <laughs> but we were we were sitting having sushi at the bar like at a like not the bar but you know on the sushi bar it has like you know you can line up and you you don't sit at a table but you're sitting next to each other like a bar and then make your sushi in front of you First of all, I used to hate um, when you did that because then the, the sushi guy was your waiter and their English wasn't all that good. And that is because I'm uh, at the time I was a vegetarian and they don't understand that like animal products are in some of the fucking sauces and stuff. And we just have to grill them about whatever. Like they to start, they gave, gave me like this little like salad or whatever and with like some dressing or, or it was like a sort of like a asian coleslaw of some kind or whatever and i'm about to eat it and i was like is there any meat in this and he goes no 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 meat i said are you sure there's not any animal products in the sauce no 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 meat um nothing like that and then he goes no no nothing i start to take lift it to my mouth he goes just a little bit of fish and i'm like oh bro that's exactly what i was asking about no so we're eating uh, sushi at this place and this is the first time and last time I had sake. Now, if you haven't had sake before, you're not missing on anything. However, this was the first time I learned that different alcohol could give you a different kind of drunk. And I'd always heard that, but I had tried like a few different kinds and not felt anything. And so I always thought that people that said that were like fucking like wannabe fucking alcohol sommeliers or whatever. Like they're like, oh, well, you have to have this if you want a calm experience or whatever the fuck. Like, Calm down. And so I, I always thought it was dumb, but I have the sake. And first of all, it tastes like ass. I used to call it devil semen. It's so bad. And I know if if you are a fucking person that likes sake and you're listening like, well, did you try it warm? Yes, I tried it warm. That's how they serve it, dude. Yeah, which is weird, by the way. It's a sake is a rice wine. Um by the way. Um and, and it's it just tastes like ass. Like if you think about wine, right? It's grapes fermented, and grapes are sweet and delicious. But if it's red wine, it's usually not sweet at all. And so, if you think about the fermentation process, it makes it taste that brings out the worst taste in it. So, if you think about rice wine, I don't know what they do to make it. I'm not claiming to know anything about the process of sake, but dude, it's so nasty. And um, the having it warm or hot or wherever is the only way it's bearable because then it, it almost becomes like a tea and it goes down smoother. But still, the taste is is nasty. Um, so, like people that have sake bombs, I feel like that might be better because I think they may put it in some Red Bull or something, something that has a better taste. I don't know, but we just had it straight and. The thing is like 90 proof. I think I probably just made that up, but it gets you drunk really fast. And I sit there, I have to like fucking dude, like smelling it got me drunk. I was like, okay, cool, sake. And this is the time I realized sake makes me horny. And that doesn't play a big role in the story. I that just is important for knowing like 
why I never have had it again because it's it's a weird not only the taste is bad it's like a weird experience and so we're sitting and drinking and all of a sudden um, and Bethany is my platonic friend like we never have had any sort of thing like that at all ever and in fact like I always consider her like a little sister like I always want to like protect her from like nasty dudes or whatever um, but I'm sitting here horny and I'm like dude what the fuck is sake and I start hitting on the waiter starting in the sushi chef like literally everyone could get it dude like everyone could get it and her friend leaves. And, and by the way, somewhere in the middle, I started like belting at the top of my lungs. I started to sing that song from the Book of Mormon. I believe. <laughs> and I don't know why, but I did. Um, and if you haven't heard that song, go listen to it. It's funny as hell. It's by the creators of South Park. So it's not like a traditional musical. So if you're a musical hater, definitely listen to Book of Mormon because it's South Park. Um, and it's so fucking funny. But I started singing that song and then... The friend leaves, which fine. And then we, uh, Bethany and I go next door to Bed Bath & Beyond. And literally, I don't know why we did this because people that do this, I looked down on them. We went to one of the bed displays and we just like laid in it and just like chilled in this bed. And I, I just started thinking like, this is the life. I'm sitting here drinking sake with my friend, even though I decided that sake is the devil and I will never have it again. This is a good once in a lifetime experience. And it was so fucking simple. Uh, so shout out to Bethany and, um, we were talking and I wanted to tell that story. Oh no, no, no I missed the fucking, the funniest part. So the, the, <laughs> I'm, I'm we're sitting there drinking and, uh, I always eat with chopsticks. Like I always eat with chopsticks because that's how it's meant to be, dude. Like some of the, th- some of the things they serve are not meant to be in with chopsticks, even if they traditionally eat them that way, like fucking rice, dude. If you seen the way people eat rice with chopsticks, they just bring the bowl to their mouth and use the chopsticks to like shovel it in. You can't really pick up rice with chopsticks unless you do it grain by grain, like a crazy person. But sushi definitely can be used with chopsticks. Salad can as well, even though it's a little tough, uh, but it's great. And so I always eat with chopsticks and a little, the little sliver, not the sliver, the sleeve that they come in. Um, for some reason, I always end up like folding it, and I don't know why. But I'm, I'm sitting there drunk, and I forgot that the thing that was on my table was from the chopsticks. And I start to read it, and I th- I'm thinking it has like because there's like um, the kanji is on there, uh, and then they have English next to it. And I, I'm thinking it's like the pronunciation of how to sound it out. And I would, you know, you guys know me. I know I love foreign languages. I love different cultures. I, I wanted to learn about it, and I'm I'm, I'm sitting here going ka. Kabu, kabukire, kire, kabukire, rest, and then I, I I unfurl it because I had I had folded, and literally it's their goddamn website because the restaurant's named Kabuki. It's at kabukirestaurants.com, and I started laughing for like ten minutes, and I I told Bethany like she I think she watched me, and then we both started laughing. So every once in a while we'll just be like kabu, kabukire, kire. <laughs> uh, that. Uh, is probably funnier to me and probably no one listening uh, to this is laughing. So you're welcome. But this one I promise is funny. Um, This next story. So uh, I've wrestled with this for a long time on whether or not I should tell these stories because it involves my old job. And I kind of think like work shouldn't be on the podcast, but at this point it's, it's way long gone. And most people, if not all the people involved are at, um, uh, like no longer there. So it's fine. But, um, 
I got this job working at a car dealership in Beverly Hills, um, right. And it's not really, it's like right outside of Beverly Hills, which if you've ever been in that area, they're so fucking zip code oriented. Like literally it's probably like a mile outside the Beverly Hills city limits. And they're like, yeah, but it's not really Beverly Hills. Like this is nine zero zero three six zip code. And it's not nine Oh two one Oh or nine Oh two one one. Oh, they're so trash. Beverly Hills is trash, by the way. Like if you've ever been to Beverly Hills and you think it's nice, I want to have you committed to an insane asylum. It's fucking, it's full of shitty people and there's a bunch of one way streets that the poor people will like get confused and leave. And you have to have a map that's on any GPS to, to get around anywhere. It's dumb. I hate Beverly Hills. But I, I worked at this dealership and I didn't know what was considered Beverly Hills or whatever at the time. And this is like a big turning point in my life as well because uh, it was a time when I realized I prioritized like providing for me and Kate and our family over my um, career, I guess, meaning acting. Like I went to school for acting. That's what I got. I want to do. And then I get a um, fucking, you know, school and I'm like, well, I need a job and BMW is hiring. So I went, I went there and I worked for the, I worked as a sales assistant for this guy named Yoram, this um, Israeli guy. And I definitely shouldn't have said his name, but um, I did. And I work for this guy, and he is one of the funniest people I've ever met. Without trying to be funny, like he does things that are just so, that were just so wild. And sometimes he was funny on purpose, and he was a very charismatic guy. But sometimes the funniest shit was not from him being funny on purpose. <laughs> and this story came into my head, and I wanted to write it down and tell it on the podcast. One night we and we would stay so late when we were working there because people could just walk in without an appointment, and that's when a sale is made. And, um, this, um, I think they were Korean cause we were right near Koreatown. So I'm 99% certain these, um, these two women were Korean. It was like a mother daughter, um, that came in to look at some used cars and we showed them, uh, a few and they would kept going back and forth and they would, and they would always do this. And this is, this is one thing that I, I didn't like is that they would always like argue in their language in front of us and sort of exclude us from the conversation. It's like, Hey, maybe clue us in a little bit so we can help. And they were just sort of like not really talking to us and just sort of using us to facilitate the process. And so it got to the point where when he was, when, when he would uh, work with customers like that, he would get ultra aggressive and like take control. And at one point he like sat him down and he was like, I need the credit app. I need the credit app. And the woman was like, I haven't decided which car. And he's like signature and starts like shaking the paper or whatever. And she like, like shelled up and just like signed it. And then he walked away. This is, I was, that was like keeping him at my desk and they walked away. He walked away to, to go run the credit app. The woman looks over her shoulder to make sure he's out of earshot and then turns back to me and whispers, he's the devil. I was literally, I didn't know whether or not to laugh in her face or what to do. I just started, I think I just started laughing and I was like, no, he's not the devil. He's just trying to help. I didn't know what else to say. Like when someone says your coworker is the devil, you you got to refute that or agree. I guess you could say, well, yeah, he is, but we're here. You know what I mean? Um, but we had some, uh, we had some funny stories there. So I, I guess this, uh, little mini anecdote was just to tee up the rest of the stories might uh, a lot of my LA stories are probably going to be from this car dealership because we um, we had a lot of fuckery go down there, and uh, that just reminded me of one more that maybe I shouldn't tell, but I might anyway. Um, 
So that's it, guys. <laughs> that's the end of this segment. Now let's move on to the forum. Without further ado, let's get right into it. This first question is from my man, Dave Fretz. Take it away, Dave. Hey, what's going on, Juice? This is Dave Fretz, at Dave Fretz, not Solo Shoes, on Twitter and Instagram. Hope you're doing well, man. Um, got a question for you today. Just wondering, in your opinion, who you think uh, both fighter and team, um, you can do it together and then separately, however you want to break this down, uh, are the best or were the best current, previous, best strategists in uh, in MMA of all time? Um, I always thought of GSP. Uh, and they're team this way, the way they used to break down fighters. And I know a lot of people hated GSP fights, but I think a lot of it had to do less with him being boring with just such great strategy. Anyways, curious on your opinion. Talk soon, man. Take care. Yes, great question. And actually, I'm not in the camp that says GSP fights were boring. Like there's a lot of people that think well, once he became champion, like especially after the Matt Sarah loss when he regained the title, that he became this like boring champion. It was like decision, like like the early George, the early GSP was when he really got the nickname Rush, and that's what he was known for is those early fights. Um, but I, I I just think he was more technical. I never thought it was boring. He always put on a fucking masterclass. So there's that. So I would I would say um, GSP and Faraz Sahabi like for sure. Um, and also like the inclusion of Freddie Roach into his camps, like always brought the best in his boxing. Um, I hate to say it, but Freddie Roach is part of the reason that he won the title from, um, from Bisbing. Um, I remember uh, hearing an interview where, where Freddie Roach was saying, uh, he was like, yeah, the left hook is there or whatever. Uh, I think it was a left hook that, that dropped Bisping with, and then led to the rear naked choke. I'm pretty sure yeah, that was uh, advice from Freddie Roach. Uh, but anyway, that sort of, uh, team was really really important but i'll say another like here is my um my best one uh that was probably not good english but anyway um mighty mouse and matt hume uh, so underrated doesn't get talked about enough uh, matt hume is one of the great coaches in terms of game planning and strategy uh, but also just in terms of overall like fighting and martial arts knowledge like their game plan was always sort of not really a game plan like they would study tape and analyze what their their opponent did and things like that most of the time that was the coach and he didn't really clue in demetrius he would just say you don't work on this but more so, he was just getting him ready for every possible situation in a fight. Like Mighty Mouse is one of the most complete martial artists, in my opinion, because of that fact. Because of the fact that he doesn't just treat it like a sport and just like, okay, let's drill these things and then execute it. You know, he really treats it like a fight to where just like get ready for whatever scenario and he has counters for, you know, whatever may come up, even if it's not something you're known for. And vice versa, like a way of implementing his game plan as well. Like it's just, uh, it's just mastery. So love that. Love Mighty Mouse. Uh, those are probably the two best, I would say. I mean, like you could say Habib, but that, and like Abdul Manab, maybe, because Javier Mendez is always like, Father's plan, Father's plan. That's literally just saying, like, hey, man, wrestle. That's what you're good at. Like, that's not even anything. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's the same game plan every fight. So, yeah, great question, Dave. Shout out to you and uh, go give Dave a follow as well. Solo Shoes. Um, glad that that's back in business. Hey.
Hello from Argentina, guys. Nice listening to you talking about fights and everything else. Very interesting. Let's see if we can get together whenever we are in Los Angeles or in the U.S. Be safe. Take care. Keep doing great. Yes, muchísimas gracias, amigo. I love that. Shout out to Argentina. I love that I have you know a small amount of listeners there. Maybe just Romero, but a fucking great, um, great um, shout out there, man. And definitely, uh, if you're ever in my part of the world or or what have you, uh, let's link up for sure. What's going on, you bunch of motherfucking casuals? Um, I'm thinking it is Sunday today, 4.20 in the morning, Sunday. My question for you, Juice, now since this COVID-19 bullshit, if it was I was a fighter... I'd want my contract to state that if we ever have a pandemic, I want such number of dollars per month, blah, 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 regardless, regardless of how high up I am in the standings or how long I've been in the UFC for, new fighter, not new fighter. You're going to put that in your contract? That's my question for you. I want, all of a sudden now, I'm going to want a fucking pandemic fucking clause in my contract, man. Fuck that shit. That's my question for you this week. I don't know when it's going to get in there or whatever, but... It is always 420. Peace. <laughs> God bless you, Jim. Go give that man a follow. Jim Asun at Jim Asun one, I believe. Great fucking guy. And uh, it's a great question. Now I don't know that it's it's particularly um, possible. Let's say I don't know that it's something that would happen because the way the UFC contracts are set up, they give them all the leverage as a promotion. Um, the fighter doesn't have a lot, and the people that are in the position to make um, demands like that or, or put certain clauses in the contract usually don't need them, which is unfortunate. And it's it's why uh, I do think a fighters' union is um, something that I would be an advocate for, at least some sort of collective bargaining. Although there is a lot of um, kinks to be worked out. Um, I've heard a few things that have made me sort of uh, hesitant to a fighter's union. Uh, the only good thing I've ever heard Malki Kawa say was in regards to the drawbacks of a union. He talked about how, you know, it's it's applicable in football and the NFL because of certain things. But, you know, if you don't have a fight uh, in a certain period of time, like the union would have to be, you force you to fight or something like that. It's, it's something that got me thinking like, huh, and I probably botched that, but... Anyway, it was in an old interview with Malkikawa and Ariel, and uh, I wouldn't necessarily urge anyone to listen to any of his interviews, so maybe don't. But if you happen to hear, you know what I'm talking about, definitely let me know. And then the other uh, thing I've heard about unions not being maybe the best is from Mixed Man. And I don't know, I think he might be pro union actually, but he just actually raised like a bunch, like a list of things that you would need to have in place to where I looked at it and I was like, damn, like maybe this is a mountain that we're never going to reach kind of thing. Um, so in regards to your question, Jim, about having a pandemic clause in the contract um, with them being in, you know, it, it, it's unfortunate because what they are is a 1099 independent contractor as, as a fighter, but the, the language in the contracts are pretty much, um, you know, for employees, they, they treat them like employees. So, I don't, I don't know what leg they have to stand on to get those kind of clauses in there. It, it's, it's really tough. 
I mean, they would probably have to hire a lawyer to negotiate it. I, I remember when GSP was trying to get a fight and they didn't want to give him the uh, title fight or whatever. They, I didn't want to. He didn't want to sign because it, the Reebok deal was in place and it would clash with his Under Armour deal. And there's a lot of things that needed to happen for his comeback. He literally hired a lawyer to try and get his contract null and void because it was like, oh, if you uh, don't give us a contract by this certain amount of date, then the contract is null and void. Like they lowered the shit out of that deal and got GSP the fight. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, you would have to do you'd have to do something like that where you actually hire a lawyer. And unfortunately, a lot of these guys, they don't have that um, amount of coin to drop nor the connections. So it's unfortunate. But uh, I think it's a great idea. I mean, you think you wouldn't need a fucking pandemic clause in a contract. You'd think that the UFC, with all their goddamn money, would uh, stop funneling so much of it into putting fights on a goddamn island and say, hey, maybe we give our fighters a, a pension to, to just just stay the fuck at home and social distance and not train, uh, at least in line, like public setting, for the time being so that we can bring fights back the right way and not just scramble to be first. Like you literally go on the UFC website and it says the return of sports is May 9th. Like, oh my God. Anyway, great question, Jim. Love that guy. Hey there, Juice. It's Jake from GMMAP here. My question for this week's forum is, in your opinion, what was the weirdest, strangest, funniest, cringiest, most awkward post-fight interview ever? As in the Octagon interviews with Joe Rogan, John Anik, Brian Stan, DC, all that lot. Um, stay safe, and it's only six more fucking days. <laughs> Shout out to Jake. Go give him a follow at Jake Irish MMA. You know, um, there's so many. There have been some bad ones, and I feel like I can't remember a lot of them. Um, people like to cringe at the Ben Rothwell one. I think it was when he knocked out Overeem when he just like did the <laughs> the fucking the fake laugh or whatever, but um, the evil laugh. But you know what? I like that interview. One of the ones that I thought was super funny but also a little cringy, and that's why I loved it. Um, and because it, it was weird as fuck, was Arnold Allen when he won one of his fights. Uh, I think it was the one where he beat, I want to say Mads Brunel or someone with a fucking ninja choke. Um, it was, it was a ninja choke. I'm pretty sure anyway, was the finish. And he starts talking about how his dad was on steroids. He's like, Hey, here's my dad. He was on steroids. Not me though. I'm clean as a whistle or whatever. Like what the, f I, I was just like, are you kidding me? Talking about steroids on the mic, just like that. And the fucking dad is such a legend. He just like shrugs and he's like, Yeah. Dude, I love Arnold Allen. So that's probably mine. There's probably better ones. Like I'm gonna probably get tweeted like, "Oh, could you not pick this one?" But you know, that's that's mine. Um, keep the conversation going and, and share yours. But that's mine. Great question. Hey, Juice, my brother. What's good? Long time no talk. I just wanted to know how you felt about the main event. I think most folks are looking past Justin. And there is a real legit possibility if Tony stands in front of him, Justin could spark him the fuck out. Now, if that happens, how do you feel about uh, Justin getting a shot at the Beebs? <laughs> what say you, Juice? And uh, in my humble opinion, 
Connor beats Dustin, Justin, Dan, and Tony, but what the fuck do I know? Just wondering what other fights do you make in the lightweight division? What do you think they do? Um, well, past that, I just hope everyone's looking forward to the fights, being as safe and happy as we possibly can right now. Uh, Tammy, I love you, sweetheart. And uh, take care, you fucking casuals. Talk to you later. Dude, this was one of my favorite voice messages in a long time. Shout out to this guy. Um, I believe it's D. Kronz. Uh, he just said, was Dan late again? That's the name he put on the fucking the thing uh, or the title of the of the message anyway. And you are not late. I'm late. But um, that's a good question. So when you say people are looking past Justin, um, I don't know that's a fair assessment, at least not on my part. Because what you have with myself and a lot of the other Tony fans on Twitter, I believe, is that we're just so passionate about our guy that are like, yeah, he can fucking, uh, he'll take on anyone. But dude, I think we know that Justin is a legitimate threat. At least I do. It's just not a factor in my pick for the fight because you all know how I do. Like I, I, I do think about the possibilities of where the fight's going to go and things like that and, and skill level and matchup, you know, what, kind of attributes they pose and whether it's a threat to the other one or not. But at the end of the day, when it comes down to my pick, it's mostly about with my heart and with my gut. And uh, for me, it's Tony all day. But what you said about Connor was really intriguing to me. Like Connor and Dan Hooker, even though like Dan Hooker would have to basically get to like within sniffing distance of a title shot uh, or Connor would have to lose a bunch for, for that fight to happen. But that's a fucking intriguing as fuck fight to me because Dan Hooker's long as hell and can take a beating and uh, also has the grappling to give Connor problems as well. Like that to me is a really fun fight. Um, Any of those fights are fun. Connor Tony, Connor Justin, any of those ones you mentioned. Um, But, uh, you know, they're also really tough for him as well. So. Wow, that's a that's a great question. As far as for, oh, first of all, I love how you like I said. First of all, even though I said like eight things, I pulled an Anderson Silva when he his post fight speech from two oh eight when he said a bunch of things and he's like, oh yeah, and first of all, God, yeah, God. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, I love that you called Khabib the Beebs. Please keep doing that. Maybe keep that uh, going online, everybody. That's fucking funny. Uh, and yeah, dude. Of, of course, like this is for the interim title. Like there's no two ways about it. Um, the winner of this is fighting Habib. Like that's it, um, you know, and uh, I think it's the right call as well. Like sometimes they throw interim titles where uh, they can't get the other person who really should be getting it to say yes. So they stick just some rando in there. Uh, like all due respect to one of my favorite fighters, Kevin Lee, he should not have been fighting Tony for the interim title. Like that was just a guy that was there. You know what I mean? And, and, and that sucks to, to, to say, but he was just a guy that was there. Let's be real. Um, but in, in terms of this, like Gaethje put together some nice ones like the Barboza win, the, um, the James Vick knockout. This is not an order, by the way. I think Vick was before Barboza. And then the Cowboy knockout, like with his ranking, um, he's within reason to, to maybe get a title shot, but a, a nice win would really put over the top. And that's what this would do. Plus it's for the interim title, so it fully solidifies it. And, um, yeah, uh, I, th- I think he can be Tony, but I'm not, I'm not counting on it. 
I, lo- I like what Phil, the MMA dude, said about this fight, and I, I agree, but I'm extended a little bit. I think he said that it's going to go one of two ways. Either Gaethje knocks him out of the fir- in the first round, or if Tony gets past that first round, then he wins. Basically saying, essentially, Gaethje's best chance and ultimately his only chance in his eyes is to win in the first round. For my money, I think it's like the second round or more specifically probably around the eight-minute mark, uh, meaning like three minutes into the second round. Uh, once Tony can weather the storm, uh, I think it, I think it's his fight. Just kind of play spoiler a little bit for my breakdown later on in the show. Fucking great guy. Go give him a follow. Decrons is the, uh, one of the funniest guys there, but also one of the nicest. And his profile picture threw me for a loop for the longest time because I thought it was like just kind of like cool. <laughs> I thought it was badass, and it turns out it's his ass. It's bare ass. Not badass. Oh, that's funny, even though I'm not funny. All right, here we go. This is a fucking rant from MMA Catfish. We love MMA Catfish. Hey, Juice. MMA Catfish. I am sitting by the river on a mountain bike ride, drinking a beer. Overall, it's pretty nice. But don't worry. I still have plenty of curmudgeon in me about this upcoming bullshit event. Anyhow, I don't really have a question. I was just going to say that I hope the fighters get paid. I hope that nobody gets sick. And uh, still not going to watch. But whatever. I don't necessarily judge people that choose to watch. I don't know that that's really my place. I can only choose to judge what I do. And so I'm not going to watch. And fuck Dana White. He's a fucking asshole. He's greedy. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's all I got. Fuck Dana White. Fuck COVID. And fuck anybody out there going on and on about their constitutional rights. If they can make a lot of decisions, you have to wear pants. If they can make a lot of decisions, you have to wear a mask, you fucks. You all care so much about your goddamn rights. But then want to tell the gays they can't get married. All those people can go fuck themselves. I hope they hear this and I hope they unfollow me. Fucks. Yes, big MMA catfish energy. Um, everything he said right up to the point of, uh, or excluding the point of not watching is pretty much me. I hope fighters get paid. I hope nobody gets sick. Um, I'm not sure if these should be happening, but I am going to watch. That's, that, that's where we differ, is that I am going to watch, um, and I'm not going to stream it. I'm going to buy the pay-per-view so that the, the fighters can actually uh, get that money. And which is not to say that they get the pay-per-view points, but it definitely helps the revenue of the company, which is there's a trickle-down effect. You guys don't fucking get it. Plus, also, here's the thing, dude. I think I've said this before. Like, when you stream a movie, if you pirate a movie, you're not taking from the actors so much as you are taking from like the PAs and stuff that that still um, benefit from the success of the movie, and that's what's happening here with the pay per view. It, it, it's the low level like production staff of the UFC that is going to be benefited or not benefited from whether you know whether or not people purchase the pay per view. So, anyway, that's my little shtick about that. But uh, yeah, dude, if you're talking about your constitutional right of of to to not wear a mask, just stop. I'm not going to be as, as fucking like balls to the walls as Seth was, but bro, we got to wear masks now. That's it. There's no two ways about it. We got to wear masks now. 
You go to a public place, you wear a mask. That's it. It's for your safety and everyone else's, so shut the fuck up. All right, this next one is uh, a, a question slash rant um, slash really awesome thing for my buddy Mixed Demand. Uh, it's a bit of a long one, so strap in. Hey, Juice, it's your homie Mixed Demand here. Hey, I'm calling in because I want to tell you the future. That's right. This is the podcast for the average MMA fan. That's me, hosted by the above average man. That's you. So I thought I'm going to share with you the future. Two divisions that will become the marquee divisions in the UFC, the deepest divisions in the UFC, the most contender-rich divisions where the belt is constantly turning out. And I know what you're thinking. It's not the men's 155-pound division. That division will always be a marquee division because that's the everyman's division. And that's just where the average dude that gets into shape, they fall they fall into that category. That that that's me. Above average men like yourself that are six foot two fucking clobber knockers. You know they can go fight in heavyweight, but but basic bitch dudes like me, we we fight at lightweight. Um, there is something happening right now that we're not seeing. You see, there's a lot of conversation that's going on about well it's social politics and whether you pump your fist in the air when you hear about like identity politics and social politics or you shake your head, it doesn't matter because the conversations are happening. You see, there is a whole generation right now that doors are opening up to them. Stigmas are being removed. They can now wrestle with the boys. And the stigma maybe isn't there as much as it was 10 years ago, certainly not 20 years ago, and hell no, 30 years ago. That's right. There's a generation of young women right now that can go wrestle and not have that stigma hanging over their head of being mannish or hanging with the boys. That that The conversations are happening and people are accepting that this is a great sport for their for their young daughters. And if you go into a mixed martial arts gym, um, as you know, I, I, I sell specialty flooring, and, and sometimes I'm in mixed martial arts gyms. Ten years ago, sausage party. It was just a dick fest, man. Just, I mean, they might as well just have the, the cocks hanging out, walking around, because there's no chicks anywhere. You go in today, it's 50-50. I mean, women are in there for self-defense. They're in there to learn how to box and wrestle and do jujitsu and partake at a very young age in this amazing sport. So what's going to happen is there's a massive wave of young ladies that are, that are training right now. I guarantee you any state you're in, wrestling is way up for young women. Your local mixed martial arts gym has twice as much female enrollees as they did 10 years ago or even five years ago. And if you're a parent and you're looking at scholarship opportunities or you're just a really highly athletic kid and you're thinking, how am I going to make a living on this shit? Well, you ain't going to the Olympics every four years and doing badminton and making a living on it. No, you're looking at mixed martial arts because it is the only place that you have the same platform as the men. And fight or pay criticism aside, because there is some due criticism there, the biggest paychecks await you in UFC or Bellator. The biggest stage, the biggest platform, the biggest ability to change your life financially is in mixed martial arts if you are a female athlete right now outside of the WNBA, a select few gymnasts and uh, Olympic athletes that really make it to the peak. But that's not a lot. There's a much larger window to get into being a fighter. So the women's 155-pound division and the 125-pound division will not only be some of the deepest divisions in the UFC, they will be the marquee divisions in the UFC. If you go back to the beginning of women's 
mixed martial arts. It starts, it doesn't start with Gina Carano, but she was the goat. She was the shit right up until Cyborg showed up. And Cyborg was the shit. And nobody could beat Cyborg. She was ahead of the game. And then Ronda Rousey showed up. And she was the shit. And she was the goat. And it was this lifetime event watching her per Joe Rogan. And then someone named Holly Holm and Amanda Nunes came. And then they were the shit. And Amanda Nunes still is the shit. But there's going to keep being this reciprocal effect where we have these amazing, talented female fighters until the next couple of waves come. But I'm telling you, 10 or 15 years from now, it's not going to be a wave. It's going to be a fucking tidal wave that's going to wash over all the current fighters. Anybody that's there right now, at best, is going to be viewed as the greatest of their era because the women will catch up and those divisions will be deeper than any men any men's division because let's just be honest we, we've got options we, we can go play football and baseball and hockey i mean there, there's far more financial opportunities for us to make money as professional athletes if we weren't you know sloppy and weird and fat um so just an opinion but i i i'm willing to die on that hill i think women's mixed martial arts will be the face of the ufc in 10 to 15 years Thank you, Mick, for that amazing rant. Um, I call it a rant just because I, I don't know that there was a question, but it was a great, um, I don't know, statement anyway. And uh, I agree with you. I don't know that I think it will be, those will be the marquee divisions of the UFC, but they certainly will hold a candle uh, to the men's. I mean, look at uh, UFC 200. Amanda Nunes and uh, Misha Tate headlined that bitch. It was one of the most successful pay-per-views of all time. I get that it was, uh, you know, supposed to be DC and John Jones. I get that even before that, it was supposed to be Conor and Nade. Then Brock Lesnar was involved. Um, the, there's a lot of things that went into it, but the the fact of the matter is, they they were on the on the building as being the main event, and they fucking delivered. Amanda um, Nunes shocked the world. And uh, th- there have been plenty of other instances where uh, the women can be a huge draw. And uh, I really think that especially just it has to do with perception and uh, level of talent, but also perception of level of talent. Like it's starting to catch up. That Zhang Weili versus Joanna Yon Jacek, one of the best fights of all time. You know, m- more fights like that. And you can definitely see more more women headlining pay-per-views. And especially the, the, the progression that you talked about with there being more women in gyms now and you know, women can wrestle with the boys now uh, in high schools and things like that. That's absolutely taking off and absolutely true. And uh, I think it's going to be it's it's going to be something to look out for. I don't know that I would uh, put a specific timeline on it, um, but people are also getting bigger. I don't know that the women's one fifty five division uh, is going to be the marquee division because there's not a lot of women's one fifty fivers in the world. I was thinking when he was saying that that it was kind of like like the women's 155 pound division is almost like the women's heavyweight, even though women's heavyweight exists, which is basically just like Gabby Garcia and like two other girls aside from the, like the little women that Ryzen puts up with her, which is which is so fucking weird. But um, yeah, um, there's like Destiny Yarbrough, I think is is, is one. Um, there, there's a few of them, but for the most part, like the biggest girls are are in 155, and that's like the basically the women's heavyweight division. So that could end up being, you know, where like for, for like the just bleed fans, they, they want heavyweights because they want the knockouts. So I feel like that could end up being the thing for like, 
people like women's MMA that are like the just bleed kind of fans, like give me those one fifty fivers. You know, it's kind of a weird way to put it, but I like it. I like where he's going with it. All right, now we're going to move on to the Twitter questions. Um, there's many different ways to send in a voice question. If you're ever confused about it, hit me up, please. Um, this first question is from MMA Mental at Scotland underscore MMA. It says, does the UFC even want Tony as their champion? And if or when Tony overcomes these odds, the UFC will stall him out another year. Very deservedly, Usman is un- undisputed. Cejudo has two undisputed. He's given up the flyweight title, actually. Um, yet neither have even debuted the last time Tony lost. Wow. That's a good point. This is, um, he also, you know, uh, if you guys follow um, MMA Mental on Twitter, you know, he always likes to put a picture or something with his tweets, a little video clip. He put a little stat of these these are the things that were true the last time Tony lost. There were no women in the UFC. Women, women were not fighting in the UFC. Kamaru Usman and Henry Stewart had zero pro, pro fights, as he mentioned. Uh, Benson Henderson was the lightweight champion. Anderson and GSP were current UFC champions, and the UFC flyweight division was two months old. Yeah, pretty crazy. I love seeing stats like that where they say, like, wow, uh, Obama was just starting his second term the last time Tony lost, like things like that. Um, I love it. And to answer a question, uh, I don't know that they're trying to protect Tony from being a champion so much as they just have given him a hard road. And uh, part of it is that he, the, the lightweight division is just one of the like the most stacked division in the in the sport really across any promotion, and so he just had to fight his way back after that Michael Johnson loss. I believe that was the last loss, um, and uh, also circumstances played a big factor. And you know, you you can say that Tony Khabib curse is real if you like. Um, I choose not to believe in it. Um, that's my own thing. But uh, that certainly, those Khabib matchups or lack thereof certainly played a part in his not being a champion. I mean, the man won an interim title. I, I call him a champion. So that's it. The next question is from my man Guy Shook at Guy Shook 79 He said, could Fight Island be what the UFC needs to breathe some life back into the dead horse that tough has become? Yeah, dude. I mean, I think so... You guys know I'm I'm pretty like pessimistic about Fight Island. I don't think it is going to happen, and if it does, I think it's going to be a massive waste of money that they could have spent on, you know, I don't know, stimulus fucking packages for these for these fighters to help overcome this pandemic. Um, though, if it sticks around after everything, then it might have been worth it. You know, I'm, I'm certainly willing to accept the fact that island fights could be cool. I'm certainly willing to to be a little bit, uh, you know, willing to look at the the silver lining in that in that regard. But um, I definitely think that it, you know, if you're going to have tough and you're going to have Fight Island, that tough should be on Fight Island. I mean, for real, they can even bring back. I mean, this would maybe not be the best thing, but they could experiment with different things. The first two seasons of Tough, they had like challenges, like sort of like road rules and things like that, which wasn't the best um, because we wanted to see more fighting and and then people were eliminated without, uh, or, or people were safe from elimination without having fought. And then that kind of got into a weird situation in season two. But, um, I think they should experiment with it. I mean, I would definitely love to see the coaches challenge on fucking fight Island. Like that would be, that would be amazing. Great, great point guy. 
Uh, this question is from Phil, the MMA dude. Shout out to Phil, co-host of the Split Decision podcast. He said, which fight are you most excited about on the undercard, and which fight do you see having the biggest upset result? Now, this is a great point because, first of all, um, they could all be upsets, at least in the traditional manner. And I'm not necessarily taking that into account um, in my picks, in my breakdown, because we don't really know, and you might as well just pick them as if uh, situations are normal. But uh, he, in the most recent episode of Split Decision, I want to say episode 62 off the top of my head, um, Mixed a Man uh, had a great question he sent in. and said, how, do you, how much do you think the lack of training camp for these fighters is going to cause for a lot of upsets? And I kind of sat there listening to that, and I was like, maybe damn near all of them like it really comes down to like who's hungrier or who's able to have a better camp you know the best fighter is not necessarily going to win on these fights on saturday which kind of takes us back to the old school days which i kind of like even though it's not under the best circumstances um so as far as a regular matchups i mean for, for me I mean, I know you said undercard. I'll give an undercard one, but I'm looking at Francis and Gunn Rosenstrike. Everyone is not giving Rosenstrike a chance, and uh, for me, I think he pulls it off. I'm a big fan of Biggie Boy, um, and it's, but it's hard to tell what of these other ones would be upsets. If you think Uriah Hall beating Jacare is an upset, that would be mine um, for sure, because I think that's that's a pretty likely scenario. Also, if you think Vincente, Vicente Luque beating Nico Price is an upset, I think that's that's likely to happen. Uh, and I say that because Vicente won the first fight, but there's plenty of people uh, who are really high on Nico Price and think he can get it done. And to that I say, give me what you're smoking. All right. Um, next question is from Cyrus King. Uh, at Cyrus King, love this guy. Uh, he says, which fight coming up on Saturday are you most excited for besides the main event and why? Great question. You know, I'm really looking forward to um, the Hellenic Verdum fight. I really love it. It's like a showcase of old grapplers. Um, both have kind of wild striking, especially Verdum, because they don't give a fuck about the takedown. They want to be taken down. So we might get a weird slugfest, or it might just go to the ground right away. And personally... Well, I'll I'll get to that when I when I break it down, but I'm really I'm really looking uh, forward to this fight. Next question is from Harry Andrew at Harry Andrew ninety four. Says been working nights in a local store to help out whilst the schools are in lockdown, so I'm so behind on sleep and podcasts. Can't wait for this question. People say if Cruz beats Cejudo, he will be the bantamweight goat. In your opinion, why is there no such thing as a goat? First of all, great question, and I absolutely think it's apropos to be talking about this right now. Greatest of all time, which is what that acronym stands for, is quite frankly a misnomer. Because when people are picking their goat or, or what have you, they pick it based on current fighters. And if you're talking about the best of all time, for my money, it has to be someone whose career is over. That's why I always say GSP. Even though he's flirted with coming out of retirement, I don't think it's going to happen. Definitely, that plays a factor in in my uh, opinion, in my uh, choice when I'm picking the GOAT, if you will. I hate that term. I only ever say it ironically. But I think it's more... Um, important 
if you will, to pick the best of any given era. That's maybe more um, apropos. And uh, for my mind, it is Cruz, especially because he was the best of his era, beat the best of his era. And Cejudo kind of symbolizes the new era. And if Cruz beats him, he will have beat, uh, you know, basically two generations, possibly three, depending on how you divine that, because Cruz has been fighting a long time. And um, yeah, fuck Cejudo. That's all I got to say about that. Fuck Cejudo. All right, next question is from Carlo, Car, sorry, <laughs> Carl Jones at Carlito Heat. He says, Juicy, Stipe has said he will not fight while the pandemic rages on, and Nunez will not fight either, which is smart since her partner is pregnant and Shevchenko is injured. So do we see the UFC stalling more interim champs, or see UFC installing more interim champs until they return means more title fights for us all? Uh, I think it's a very strong possibility. Um, the circumstances sort of lend themselves to that. Uh, especially if, if you're a champion, you can afford, you know, especially if you're a champion who's defended their belt already, you, you can afford to sit out for a while. And I don't know that I heard Amanda say she won't fight during the pandemic. I heard that she said she, she didn't want to fight this May 9th card because of lack of a full camp. He said, let's, let's wait till maybe June to some time has passed. Maybe things can reopen and we can get a proper camp. I don't know that that uh, fight will get rebooked for June, um, but it's very possible. Um, I think it depends on how quickly she's able to get back in training. I, th I think she kind of said, um, you know, once I can have a full camp. So that could be end up being, hey, I won't fight during a pandemic. You could um, define it that way or whatever. You could glean that from that. Um, but I, I certainly think that with the right motivation and, and if they're able to maybe open up American Top Team for, for her and some training partners and she can get a proper camp, then maybe they do rebook that fight for June. Uh, I don't see there being an interim featherweight for damn sure, maybe an interim bantamweight, just because they've already, like, when you've let it lapse that long, like, she won the title from Cyborg, what, December of 2018? She tried to defend uh, against GDR, but GDR only would fight a bantamweight because GDR is the worst. Um... And so it's, it's been at this point, almost a year and a half. And by the time it's defended, it'll be a year and a half that the title has gone undefended. So I don't see them making an interim featherweight. I did see, however, uh, biggie boy, uh, lobbying for there to, for there to be an interim heavyweight title. Um, I, th I think that's probably not a bad idea. Although, yeah, I, I don't know that it's, it's really justified. I don't know what divisions to predict, but I think he's onto something. Like maybe uh, Usman one doesn't happen, and we see maybe fucking Jorge versus Colby for the interim, or Jorge versus Connor for the interim welterweight. God forbid. Um, but uh, it, it's a it's a great great point. All right, so next question is from Daft Ars at Ars underscore Daft. He says, what's your thoughts on the whole Fight Island saga and should it be a regular event after uh, the, when this is all over? Also, what would you say was the strangest uh, flight you have seen? Does he mean fight? Is it a typo? I don't know that I've seen many strange flights, but I've seen many strange fights. Uh, he says, also, Trans LFC is a cockwomble. <laughs> I know Pixie will appreciate that. Um so, as far as the Fight Island thing, I've talked about this a little bit, but let me just say, 
I think it is irresponsible and reckless to be using uh, like v company resources and and quite frankly dollars to be funding this project when 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 lives are at stake when 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 that money could go to fucking like donating medical supplies or donating to a cure or or you know making sure all of your uh, family or all of your fighters and their families are taken care of financially during the whole thing. Um, I like that it's it's done to basically give international fighters the chance to fight when um, the ones in the U.S. can have the Florida event, which even that it's a little bit you know unjustified. Uh, but I do I, I will say if, if they do the Fight Island thing, they they do have to to get creative with it because no one wants to just say like, hey, we bought an island, like that's not enough. You know, you got to do a little bit more with it. And uh, just like I was talking about with Guy Shook, or in regards to his question anyway, uh, it would be great to hold Tough there and any other like uh, uh, shows. Can you imagine if they if they did a fucking like press conference in Fight Island, like kind of like they did the 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 Masvidal uh, Nate one on a rooftop and try to make it kind of badass. This is like the kind of shit that they should be doing with this island. If it happens, and if the you know pandemic, um, you know once we beat this thing, you know what I mean. Once once everything's over. Uh, this next question is from Matt MMA at Irish Matt MMA one. It says really not a fan of Usman whatsoever, so it pains me to even ask. But I think it's a highly debatable topic. Do you see anyone taking the belt from him in the near future? And it is a great question. It's a hard to say where I rank Kamaru in terms of, like, if you want to make a pound for pound list, and usually they they do the champions, which is so it's basically for the first fucking ten or twelve or whatever. It's like ranking the champions. I don't know where he would fall, especially with only the one title defense. But I can say, looking at the welterweight division, um, it's it's hard to say who can really beat him. I mean, quite frankly, Tyron Woodley has the skills, but um, he didn't show up and nothing about that fight makes me think it would go any differently. Um, just, just based on what happened and, and the way Tyron responded, like Tyron's basically elite level wrestling, devastating knockout power. And, and, and he's a black belt in jujitsu. He should be fucking toying with Usman in there, but he didn't, he got toyed with and he just looked like he didn't want to be in that fight. So I don't know what happened. Like the fact that like, this is so funny. He had a, a quote in this like fan Q and A or whatever. He was like, "I'm a nightmare matchup for him on paper, bro. That fight didn't happen on paper. It happened in the T-Mobile Arena, and you got tooled up." So, <laughs> I don't know. Things like that bother me. But uh, a healthy, in shape, and mentally there, Tyron Woodley, I think is probably the the best chance of beating um, Usman. Or if if fucking Habib were to were to move up to 170, although even though I think Usman's probably a little too big for him, um, but that that would be an interesting fight. I would do. I would love to see Habib versus Usman. That would be an amazing fight. But we'll probably never get it because uh, Habib wants to dehydrate himself. Okay. And uh, what a weird note. But that is where we are going to end the forum. Uh, I mentioned earlier you can always. Um, Send in a question. People email them. You can record on your on your on your own and then uh, send it as an attachment to the email fightingwithmyselfpod at gmail.com. Um, you can also use the anchor app, search for fighting with myself and, and record it that way. Or um, just wait for the forum post, either Saturday nights or Sunday mornings, and uh, 
and sending that question to the Twitter on the Twitter machine. And uh, with that, let's now move on to my picks for UFC 249. We got fights to break down, baby. Yeah. All right. My uh, my reservations aside, I'm actually really excited for this card. It's pretty damn stacked. And now that it's here, I'm, I'm pretty pretty freaking excited to have a little bit of normalcy to the podcast. And uh, I've already seen from the amount of participation in the forum that uh, people are more interested in this uh, in this fight card than they have been in my episodes without a fight card. So that's pretty telling. Um, so the first fight of the night is Ryan Spann versus Sam Alvey. Now, this is kind of a fight that nobody asked for. But um, me personally, I think Ryan Spann walks right through Sam Alvey. I haven't seen much that is going to tell me any differently. And I'm not that big of a Sam Malvi hater, although the way he's been acting during this pandemic, saying that it's not a big deal and things like that, have been, has been pissing me off. So for that reason, I want Ryan Spann to just fucking tool him up. Like in my mind, he's like a fucking like Holocaust denier, like flat earther. Like, dude, if you're a COVID-19 denier, that's on the same level. Like you need to be shown what's up. Like I almost hope like Ryan Spann dips his gloves in a petri dish of fucking COVID and just uh, unloads on Sam Alvey. Like, that's how I feel right now. Uh, and was that pretty fucked up? Yeah. Should I have said it? Maybe not, but I did. And that's where we are. Uh, the next fight is Bryce Mitchell versus Charles Rosa. This is another one. It's going to be hard for me to pick against Bryce Mitchell. Uh, the man is just fucking tough and got, has great submission skills. So does Charles Rosa, but I think Bryce maybe has the advantage there. At least he has the advantage in like tenacity and just like what, like, dude, we're talking about a guy who fucking had one of his nuts almost sucked up by a drill and drove himself to the hospital. That's who you're dealing with when you're finding Bryce Mitchell. You're get you're who eats squirrels that he hunted in his own fucking yard. That's what you're dealing with. You're not dealing with a normal person. You think Bryce Mitchell is going to tap to a knee bar? You think Bryce Mitchell is going to tap to a, a fucking a rear naked choke? I would bet that anything Charles Rosa can dish out to Bryce Mitchell, Bryce can take it and dish it right back. So I, I'm, I'm picking Bryce, maybe second round submission. Don't quote me on that. Could be third. Could be late in the fight. Could be a fucking TKO just from unloading on him. I don't know. Because here's another thing. The grappling could cancel each other out, and it could just end up being like a slugfest. But either way, I see Bryce Mitchell coming out on top. All right, so Vicente Luque versus Nico Price is next. And here's the thing, dude. Vicente Luque is a machine. He just lost, He just snapped like a six-fight win streak or something like that where he lost to Wonder Boy. Losing to Wonder Boy is nothing to fucking sneeze at. And I, I heard some uh, some people in the timeline, and maybe it was a podcast or two, calling Vicente Luque overrated or that he was like not that good or something like that. I'm like, dude, who are you? Do you even watch MMA? And Nico Price is like touted as this fucking amazing finisher, and he like finished Ra Randy Brown off his back and the fucking upkick against James Vick. But bro, Vicente Luque beat Nico Price already, and I think history is going to repeat itself. And that's all there is to it. That's it, dude. 
Plus, I'm super salty that I'm not going to be, and I know it's not Nico's fault or anyone's fault, but that we don't get to see Nico Price versus Muslim Salikov. That was the fight, dude. That was the fight. King of Kung Fu. I can't tell you how many times on this podcast I'm a big fan of that guy, and I'm so sad he's not fighting. But I digress. The next fight is Uriah Hall versus Jacare Souza. Now, here's the thing. Uriah Hall sometimes gets in his own way and his his men, mental the mental aspect of his game isn't all the way there but he showed that he's he was there in his last fight against Shoeface and for some reason I just I think he's turned a corner and I think he can apply those same things that he did in that camp and in that fight to give him success against Jacare. Uh I really believe and, and it's it sucks to say but I think Jacare is sort of at the end of his career. Uh, I think it's unfortunate cuz he's one of my favorites but um I, I'm pretty I'm pretty confident that Uriah Hall is going to Gonna take him out here. I won't say pretty confident because it's it's a pretty close fight, but um, I'm pretty set in my belief. Like the way I see the fight going, I can, really can't see Jacare having uh, the success he needs to in this fight. Like it could end up being a similar fight to the Jack Hermanson fight. You know what I mean? Where it takes place mostly on the feet, and uh, Uriah Hall stops his takedowns whenever he wants. Uh, next one is Michelle Watterson versus Carlos Esparza. Now I've I've heard a lot of opinions on this. Most of them, Carla, although they're pretty split. I personally think Michelle Watterson uh, gets it done here. Um, both of them think they have the better grappling. Carla certainly has the better wrestling, but I, I think Michelle probably has the better jujitsu. Um, she's the karate hottie, and people know her as a striker, but a lot of her wins come from submission. Like That's where she likes to fight, um, is in the grappling. Um, I think she probably just doesn't want to get hit, if I'm honest. I mean, she showed that in the, in the Joanna fight and other fights that she's not afraid to get hit, but I think she would rather avoid it if she can uh, by by grappling. So, uh, and I, and I think her uh, her advantage there will be enough to, to get it done. Uh, we saw Alexa Grasso damn near break Carlos Barza's arm, and fucking Alexa Grasso is a striker. So, hey, all right, Alexia Lenny versus Fabricio Verdum. Here's the thing, dude. A lot of people forget that Verdum has been out for two years because of a USADA violation. And they think he's just going to walk right into the octagon the same Verdum that he was. Got news for you. He's not. Father Time is undefeated. And whilst Alexi might be older, he's been fighting this whole time. And he's been fucking tooling guys up. Dude, he just beat the hell out of... Uh, crochet boss um and and he's a young buck that guy maurice green so uh, i really think alexia lena gets it done here i don't know that he'll actually get a submission because fabrizio would probably be really hard to submit uh and, and, he, and here's the other thing dude there's a lot of disrespect thrown towards lena saying that he has one choke uh the ezekiel choke bro go look at his record yes he's gotten that like 10 or 11 maybe 12 times now um in two of them in the ufc but he has a ton of other submissions. Uh, he submitted Travis Brown with like a modified a rear naked choke, but really he said he was choking him with his legs from side control. It was a weird-ass choke. He submitted uh, Maurice with the arm bar. He's got other submissions. I, feel, I think he's also got some TKO victories. Like There's nothing uh, there's nothing one-dimensional about his game at all. I mean, certainly he favors the grappling, but in terms of his grappling, it's not just the one choke. He has plenty of other submissions. And I think we're going to see that against Verdum. I think he's an amazing grappler. And uh, maybe he just lets the fight take place on the feet. Who knows? Either way, 
I got Alexei the Bow Constrictor Olenek to beat Fabricio Verdum. Suck it, Verdum fans. All right, next up is uh, Anthony Pettis versus Cowboy. And it pains me to say I think Anthony Pettis is going to win. Not that it pains me to say that, but just that um, I really don't like seeing Cowboy losing. It's sad because here's a guy that uh, just says yes whenever the UFC uh, calls. Even if he just got knocked out, they're like, hey, man, this guy pulled out. Do you want to fight? And, yes, I know that sometimes Cowboy calls them. Uh, sometimes he's crazy. I mean, the, the poor bastard is an adrenaline junkie. If you listen to his podcast with, with Joe Rogan, he's been on a few times, but the, the one where he told the, the story about him uh, diving, like they basically play with fire whenever they dive. Like they do the math of how many tanks you're supposed to do. Um, like is, they said, uh, when, when he dies, it's recommended for a certain amount of time to take two tanks, but they figured out a formula so that they could do it with one. And I'm like, bro, stop. Like that's you're 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 playing with fire, and and that kind of mentality is what gets Cowboy into bad situations that he can't get out of. And we're talking about a guy who had a rough fight with Alex Hernandez, which he did win, but then he turned around and fought Tony Ferguson and got pieced the fuck up. Then fought uh fought look at me, um then he fought Justin Gaethje and got knocked the fuck out in the first round. Then he fought Connor and got knocked the fuck out in the first round as well. So these sort of back-to-back fights like this are not good for Cowboy. And I think regardless of what happened in the first fight, that really doesn't have anything to do with it. Matter of fact, if this fight were taking place under normal circumstances, I might favor Cowboy. But dude, I just I just don't think he has what it takes to be Pettis at this stage of his career and at this stage of their careers. And... uh I don't want to say that, but I but I have to. So I think Anthony Pettis gets it done, maybe in a, in a bad knockout. Hopefully not, but unfortunately that's what it is. All right, opening up the main card is Jorgen DeCastro versus Greg Hardy. Now, this fight should not be on the main card probably at all, but it is. Uh, Greg Hardy should not be fighting in the UFC, but he is. And we're talking about guys that can get it done. I think Jorgen DeCastro is that man. Either way, I'm never picking Greg Hardy. I don't give a fuck. Um, I don't give a fuck if he's fighting uh, like, I don't know, Betch Kohei or someone. <laughs> That's so fucked up. But anyway, if he was fight- if he were to fight, let's say, uh, fucking Carl Roberson or whatever, who's like, hey, man, I'm going to fight a heavyweight just because it's a short notice fight. I would still pick Carl Roberson because fuck Greg Hardy. Um, but as far as what I've seen from Jorgen DeCastro, he had that fight with that wrestler on uh, – the Dana White contender series. He fucking hit him with some nasty leg kicks and got a great TKO. I think it was like a massive underdog. He also knocked Justin Toffa the fuck out in his UFC debut. So um, I think he's the guy. And I've said that before. I said that about Juan Adams. Um, I said that about any of Greg Hardy's opponents, really. But eventually I got to be right at some point, right? Okay, moving on. Jeremy Stevens versus Calvin Qatar is a really fun fight. And I know he's a massive underdog, but I think I'm going to go with Jeremy Stevens. And really what it comes down to is he thrives in the chaos. And Calvin's best attribute is his boxing. And I don't know, I can't think of a time when Jeremy Stevens got outboxed. Um, He has certainly been outstruck, but it's usually from kicks or like Aldo hit him with that nasty, nasty body shot. Oh my God. That fucking one of the worst body shots I've ever seen. Um, 
But uh, Calvin Cater, I don't think possesses the tools to beat Jeremy Stevens yet. I mean, he does, but uh, Jeremy Stevens also, when he's like backed up against the wall, like put in front of a young buck, he rises to the occasion. And I think that's this is the occasion. Um, I also just really want Jeremy Stevens to win. Like, I like Calvin Cater, but I like Jeremy Stevens more. So here we are. And here, here's the thing. I talked about this before. Jarzinho Rosenstroik versus Francis Ngannou. A lot of people are shitting on uh, Rosenstroik. A lot of people are high on Ngannou. Uh, and they forget that he got wrestle-fucked by Stipe and that he laid an egg against Derek Lewis. Now, is that going to happen again in this fight? Probably not. But the odds are Why am I talking like I, I have anything? I know anything about odds. What I'm trying to say is, Jarzinho has been to the fifth round and was able to get a a, a nasty KO over over him. Whereas when Ungana was dragged into the fifth round, he looked like he couldn't stand, and he got beat the fuck up by Stipe on the ground. And I don't think um, Jarzinho is necessarily going to try and take him down, but it, it's an interesting thing. Like I think I was talking about this with with T Cross. I look at this matchup and I can't see either one getting knocked out, but that's both of their best attributes. Like I'm pretty sure this fight's not going this, and so I'm I'm saying it is, but I'm just saying in terms of like it's hard to picture that because they both are usually delivering the knockout. Um, and really, what it comes down to is um, who connects first. And I just think Rosenstrike, with his years of elite kickboxing, uh, has the tools to to be Francis Ngannou. Could be wrong. But I, I think it happens. All right, now the co-main event. Here's the thing, dude. Dominic Cruz versus Henry Cejudo should probably not be happening. Dominic Cruz has not fought since December of 2017. Maybe 2016. I think it's actually 2016. So it's basically, it's been three and a half years. He's had injuries. He's had setbacks. And in general, I think he just likes to take time off trying to find the right matchup and he hasn't got it, but they've somehow decided that he deserves a title shot and that Henry Sudo is ready to defend. I think he shocks the world. Um, I think just Dominic Cruz's overall level of knowledge of, of the game is going to be enough to get it done against Henry Sudo. I don't think Henry Sudo can take him down. And if he doesn't, I think he's going to pop right back up. I think Dominic Cruz might even take Henry Sudo down as crazy as that sounds. Um, though it's very probably low on the on the list of possibilities, but I just I do think it is a possibility because Cruz's takedowns are so unorthodox, and the way he does it, he just catches you at the right time when you're off balance, and I just think that is possible. And it's not about who has the better wrestling; it's who has the better timing on the takedowns. And Dominic Cruz is that guy. Uh, he also has much better footwork than Cejudo. He's a much better person than Cejudo. He's funnier than Cejudo. He's smarter than Cejudo. He's more everything than Cejudo. So. Uh, God, I really don't like Cejudo fans for the most part, except for one guy. Shout out to Uncle Lou. But um, yeah, I got Dominic Cruz all day. Like Cruz is, is one of my favorite fighters, and I'll always pick him. So, so fuck you if you disagree with me. And now we get to the main event, Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje. Now, a lot of things could happen in this fight. This fight on, uh, like... If we were to take the title picture out of it and forget the fact that he was supposed to fight for Khabib, forget the fact that this is in a pandemic, you know, forget all else. This is a barn burner of a fight. This has potential 
to be better than Lawler McDonald too. This has the potential to be one of the greatest fights in UFC history. It really does. Like all action style, both have uh, elite grappling. Uh, Tony uses his a lot. Justin doesn't like to use it, but he uses it for defense. So will that even play a factor? Will Tony be able to get him down? Will he be able to pull the darts? Here's the thing. Tony can pull that darts from standing. Uh, he does it all the time. I think he did it against Lando Venata. Uh, he also did this thing where he, on FS1 where he showed how he does it. He kind of sets it up from like a looping uppercut. Uh, it's really interesting to me. He's so unorthodox. And um, Gaethje's a fucking wild man. He doesn't give a fuck what you think. And what you throw at him, he's going to come forward. Um, neither of these guys takes a back step. Usually they both like to push, push the action. I'm so fucking intrigued to see what happens with it. I got Tony, but I'm, it's, it's almost a coin toss. There's a lot that could happen in this fight. Um, I'm, and, and again, I, I say that because, uh, with regards to Decron's question, like I'm not by, by any means looking past Justin Gaethje or, or, or discounting him. I just think Tony he almost dies in every fight and he comes back. You know, you Dust, Dustin has a, a lot of a fight in him, or sorry, Justin has a lot of fight in him that he can bring to Tony, but it's nothing Tony hasn't seen. And not to say that he has fight, fought someone like Gaethje, but in terms of power and just overall like scrambling and, and things like that, I don't think that Tony, that Justin has anything that Tony can't overcome. And so uh, I think I got Tony by, uh, by late round submission. Uh, sorry, like late fourth round submission is what I meant to say. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen. That concludes our show. Thank you to anyone who put up with me this long. Thank you to anyone who sent in a question. You're very much appreciated in this time. Um, you can follow me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at FWM underscore pod. Uh, I'm not really going to be on the Aaronish Jackson account uh, for uh, – while, while the pandemic is going on, I just need to break from it. Um, I need to break from people if I'm honest, but, uh, please, please feel free to check in. You know, I, DMS are open. Um, even if you DM the Aaron injection account, I get notifications that I can DM you from the FWM pod account, but more, more likely DM the FWM pod account because I'm going to be checking that more often. And it's FWM underscore pod. I think I said that correctly earlier. I just want to clarify. Um, Yeah. Stay safe. Stay the hell away from everybody. Stay the hell inside. Be nicer to each other, not only in life, but on the timeline. Um, go get some. I want to hear about y'all quarantine sex in the next forum. Just kidding. That's weird, but still do it. Uh, and that's the end of this episode. So good night. And now we get good fights.